This is Rising Up with Sonali and I'm your host Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. If you walk into most indoor public spaces in the United States today, it's as if society is back to normal. Most people have stopped wearing masks and life has resumed. But for those who are immunocompromised, COVID-19 remains a serious threat, especially as they're likely to develop long-term infections. What's worse is that when the virus lives and replicates in a single individual for a long time, it has a chance to evolve newer variants. My guest is John J. Dennehy, Professor of Biology and Deputy Executive Officer of the Biology PhD Program at Queens College and the Graduate Center of CUNY. He co-authored a letter to The Lancet titled, Where is the Next SARS-CoV-2 Variant of Concern? Welcome to the program, John. Hi, Shanali. Thanks for inviting me to join you. So first, can you tell me the difference between what we think about as long COVID versus the long-term infections that immunocompromised people um, are experiencing? Thank you. That's a very good question. Uh, long COVID refers to uh, symptoms that people experience after their SARS coronavirus infection has been resolved. So these patients are not actually infected with virus, it's believed, but rather they still have lingering symptoms, which may include things like brain fog or memory problems. Um, by contrast, we have another um, long-term persistent infection, which is an active viral infection of a patient that persists for many, many months. Commonly, these long-term persistent infections assume in immunocompromised individuals who cannot clear the virus infection. So what is the risk, not just to the individual in this case, but also to members of the public? Well, there's certainly a risk to an individual who has a long-term persistent infection, but the concern is that that individual um, will harbor a virus infection for a long period and the virus will continue to evolve within the host, within the patient itself. And it can gain additional mutation, which will give it the ability to overcome vaccine or infection-induced immunity. Um, so it's important not just to clear the infection within the patient itself, but to protect everyone else um, as well so that we don't have new variants of concern arise within these patients. Do we know if the variants that we have seen so far, um, you know, the Omicron variant, the Delta variant, have these emerged from immunocompromised uh, patients or is that, you know, not easy to tell? Well, the interesting thing about the Omicron variant is that it arose, the first was noticed, when it possessed many, many mutations that differentiated it from the currently circulating variant in South Africa at that time, which was the Delta variant. Um, one of the interesting things was we noticed this heavily evolved variant, but none of the intermediary forms were detected. So a lot of people suspect that this uh, Omicron variant arose within a immunocompromised HIV patient. And it gained all these 
mutation differentiating it from the previous variants through evolution within this patient. And then only then, after it acquired many different mutations, did it emerge and start spreading through the human population. So immunocompromised people are not just more susceptible to the virus because of their lowered immunity, they are also more likely to succumb to the virus and they're more likely to sort of become factories for variants. What does that, uh, how should that dictate our public health policy? I think it's very important not only to uh, treat these patients, but also to keep them isolated so that they're not transmitting whatever variant is persisting within them to other patients. So this should be a public health priority to find and cure these infections and to isolate the patients that have these infections to prevent another variant of concern arising. In the absence of any policy, does it help everybody, immunocompromised patients and the rest of us, for us to continue safety protocols such as masking? Or, you know, because life sort of continues as if nothing has happened, but there are vulnerable people whose health situation is potentially making all of us vulnerable in the future. So do you think that uh, the ending of safety protocols was premature? Yeah, I think a lot of the uh, masking and uh, distancing related protocols have been eased a little bit too early, my, in my opinion. Um, I would like to con continue. Um, I think it's important that we further suppress infection. Um, even though we've had several major waves of coronavirus, um, there are new variants appearing, such as BA4 and BA5, which are currently rising in many areas, so still a concern. And um, until we really suppress these numbers, I, I think it's prudent to continue to wear a mask and to socially distance as much as possible. There was some talk in the past about the virus eventually becoming endemic and then just turning into a sort of seasonal flu type virus. Is that going to happen with COVID or is this coronavirus just too different um, and, and too uh, likely to mutate? Yeah, I think the virus is pretty much endemic at this point. Um, we've been in this pandemic for two years now. It, it shows no sign of proceeding. Um, the virus continues to evolve and acquire new features. Um, mm -hmm. There are many new variants that can break through infection uh, in individuals that have been vaccinated and have been previously infected with previous variants. Um, it certainly seems to me that this coronavirus is still a major concern because we don't really see any lessening of virulence. The BA4 and BA5 variants are still just as lethal as the original SARS coronavirus variant. Um, the only thing that's really improved is our ability to treat the uh, infection. Um, we've gotten better at 
uh, properly treating individuals. We've developed a number of different drugs that we can use to treat people who have coronavirus infection. And vaccines definitely um, help people to fight off infection. So while we've made a lot of progress on the treatment side, um, we don't actually see any real lessening of the different coronavirus waves and they continue to come. Um, while nothing quite matches the spike we saw with the Omicron variant, um, it's reasonable to assume that we're going to continue to see uh, additional waves of the virus. Perhaps in the fall, we might see additional waves in the Northeast and in, in the West Coast. Um, we're just waiting for the next variant to come. Do you think that increasing vaccination rates could help not just the general public, but immunocompromised people as well, considering that those who have compromised immune systems don't develop very good immunity from vaccines, but if they're surrounded by almost all vaccinated people, it keeps them and in the long term, everyone safe. Yes, ideally that was the plan in the very beginning was that, you know, we would get everyone vaccinated and reach what we call herd immunity, which means that the virus wasn't able to infect people who are vaccinated and there were sufficient numbers of people who were vaccinated that the virus wouldn't be able to find successful hosts. Um, I think that ship has sailed at this point. Um, we vaccinated a tremendous number of individuals, but there were so many individuals that remained unvaccinated, not only within the U.S., but also in other countries, especially Africa, um, where there were millions and millions of people who remained unvaccinated. This allowed the virus to continue to evolve and to gain the ability to break through uh, vaccination or to infect people who had previously been uh, infected and recovered. Um, so unless we really develop a new vaccine that can eliminate any kind of SARS coronavirus infection, um, it's hard to foresee how vaccination is going to um, lead to herd immunity at this point. Um, we would need to revaccinate everyone who's already been vaccinated, plus those people who haven't been vaccinated. Um, I'm not very optimistic that we'll be able to do that at this stage. Um, having not accomplished this originally when the Moderna and Pfizer vaccine were first developed. Finally, are there any pieces of advice that you can give immunocompromised people about how to navigate this world that we live in? Um, as far as advice for immunocompromised patients, I would be very wary of, um, you know, not wearing masks or anything like that. I would continue to mask up and I would continue to avoid situations where you have direct exposure to a large number of people. Um, if you are infected, seek medical attention. Um, a lot of the patients uh, are already in healthcare facilities. Um, many of the immunocompromised either have cancer or uh, organ transplant patients. 
were taking immunosuppressive drugs. So it's incumbent upon the physicians that are treating the patient to make sure that, that they're monitored for COVID infection. Um, it's possible that some of these patients may be uh, feeling really ill and not notice that they're infected with COVID as well, because they might not be experiencing strong COVID symptoms. Um, but if they're in a medical facility, uh, they should be tested regularly just to make sure that they're not picking up a COVID infection. I want to thank you so much for joining us today, John Dennehy. Appreciate your time. Thank you. My guest has been John J. Dennehy, Professor of Biology and Deputy Executive Officer of the Biology PhD Program at Queen's College and the Graduate Center of CUNY. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.